Welcome to episode 470 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a conversation with union leader and organizer with SEIU Healthcare, PA, chairman of the Pennsylvania Democratic Progressive Caucus, our resident politico, Dwayne Heisler. And we talk with Dwayne about Senate races, governor races, being targeted by Republicans, patterns in rural counties, hostile work environments, racism informing voting choices, Republicans hiding from their constituents, the rich going to the moon, dividing us, and sharing core values. We have an EWSA titled Peers and Elders. We share some fascinating statistics from Harper's Index from the April 2022 edition of Harper's Magazine. And we have a poem called Miles. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 470 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. Thank 
peers and elders. I constantly contemplate the cacophony of depravity and conceit my existence conjures and completes, rapacious and smoothly outrageous as Snoop Dogg icon wears being higher than a kite so well. He is a middle-aged family man, too. Watch with wonder, lavender plush balls fall from the sky, bouncing in man-made puddles of red number two dye. The splash innocent nonsense and contemptuous leers from random passers-by. It's fear, my dear, as elegant mathematical models crafted and prepared by kings and queens of logic are worked relentless by sleek machines in valiant attempts to get a handle on this life. I can remember when as a teenager with my friends, we would spend the early morning hours working at the neighborhood bakery. It claimed to have the best buns in town. We were usually tired and a bit buzzed from drinking beer in the woods. Our stories told and philosophies unfurled into the landscape developed with streets and lights and buildings and curbs, steps and signs and ball fields and stages where we'd memorize pages written by our ancestors for reflection and recitation, while neighbors, as peers and elders, all do and did before on the way to work and school and home. All of these spaces and places and indefinite chases so that we might not aimlessly roam. But what of one's intrinsic soul and base animal instinct and impulse, all of it a soiree of tools and rules for scholars and fools. We know the earth spins around the sun. It sounds like it could be fun. The still is yet the best to become, so says he, my tall and skinny friend John. How long will this go on?
Dwayne Heisler, is that you? Yes, it's Dwayne Heisler. It's so nice to have you on yet again here with us on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. And uh, Dwayne is a union leader and organizer with SEIU. He is the chair of the PA Democratic Progressive Caucus. And he is our resident politico, among other things. We're going to talk with Dwayne today about the lay of the land, so to speak, as we approach, in many places in the United States, the uh, primary elections leading up to midterm elections. So how are you doing? How's everything? I'm doing well. And so um, you, you kind of like <laughs> introduced me and people heard about the different hats that I wear. So just want to be clear, there's a lot of different hats there. So I work for SEIU Healthcare PA, uh, which is a healthcare union in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm also on the executive committee for the Democratic Party, but I am the chair of the Progressive Caucus for the state of Pennsylvania. So, and and our conversation, quite honestly, Larry, is probably a a combination of all of those hats and none of them at the same time. But uh, it's getting close and it's kind of exciting and there's a lot going on in our state and a lot of eyes are looking at Pennsylvania right now. For sure, for sure. I mean... It is a, a purple state, I think a lot of people would say, though some might say it's blue. Uh, I, I uh, wonder how things are going to go with the Senate race. Uh, you, bo- you and I both are resident citizens of PA, so of course it is uh, very important to us in that regard, but it is important to the whole country, Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, as we saw during the presidential election. How do you see things going for the Democrats? I mean, you and I are unabashed <laughs> Democrats. Um, are we, is it going to be, uh, a tough time for us during the midterm elections as far as you you can see right now? Well, that's a really great question. <laughs> and everyone's asking the same thing and thinking about the same thing. But just to emphasize, yeah, the Pennsylvania is a, is a swing state. There's no doubt about it. Uh, this morning, I checked again on uh, 270, the website, with kind of an update on the Senate race and what it's looking like. And just looking from what they had, um, they had uh, 47 seats in the Democratic column, 48 in the Republican, and five seats, which are a toss-up. And where are those states? They are Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. So uh, you were right on there, uh, Lawrence. It's it's definitely a toss-up for us. um, And uh, there's a lot of people who are looking at the race. 
The good news is, at least on the Democratic side, we have a lot of good candidates. Um, and that's always exciting when we have when we have really good candidates. Uh, and I'm not only speaking about the Senate seat, but also we have our governor's race, which is going to be a, a hot race as well. Um, and uh, and so there's there's a lot of people looking there. There's um, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a big uh, kind of battle for the legislature, the state legislature as well. Um, although that has been you know uh, red, it's been it's been Republican for for decades, literally. Um, but um, there are some opportunities there for pickups uh, from the Democrats in both the House and the Senate. And the new lines that were drawn really helped to uh, make sure that they're not as gerrymandered as they were before, which gives, uh, a, 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 you know, making making the election a little bit more fair really helps to give the Democrats a little bit more uh, room uh, in our state legislature. So there is a lot on the table right now. Um, and that's not even talking about the issues that are that are that accompany this race um, for on, on all levels. Oh, definitely. The issues are compelling and important for us, for certain. And when you look at PA in particular, you have um, a very interesting race uh, sort of developing uh, for the for the Senate seat, the U.S. Senate seat that uh, Toomey is is going to uh, be leaving open. And right now, I think a lot of folks. I mean, it's still a toss up on the Republican side, I, I believe. Uh, but it, it might come to a point where it is. Uh, Fetterman, who is the lieutenant government governor right now for PA, uh, versus the carpetbagger from Jersey, uh, Doctor Oz. <laughs> yeah. So, so first of all, you're you're dead on with the um, with the toss up on the Republican side. There was a recent poll I was looking at um, that basically said half of the uh, re half of Republicans are just unsure who they're going to vote for in that Senate race. And the endorsement of Dr. Oz by Trump hasn't seemed to move the needle that much, if at all. Um, what is remarkable is the money that's in that race. So you have Dr. Oz, you have David McCormick, um, both of which, who, as you mentioned, are not from our state. And then um, you have the other three candidates, Kathy Barnett, uh, Carla Sands, Jeff uh, Bartos. Um, most of those other candidates don't have the kind of money that Dr. Oz does and, or David McCormick. And so when you're looking at money spent in the last few days, and the reason that I mentioned this is that, you know, so much of this this um, battle is done on the airwaves. It's done, you know, on on television ads. And you look at what what's been spent on the Republican side, which is, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Um, uh, it's still um, it's still pretty undecisive. The last poll I saw was Dr. Oz at about 22 percent. But David McCormick was right at 19 percent. You know, there's not much difference that's happening there. And when you ask Republicans, they really don't, you know, don't see the difference. It's almost like they're waiting. And, you know, Lawrence, it actually reminds me of something. You know, there's this there's this concept that that most people want to back whoever the perceived winner is. And everyone's asking everyone else, who do you think is going to win? Who do you think is going to win? And I remember being in a cab in Austin, Texas. This was oh my gosh, decades ago, and there was a, a presidential race. I don't even remember which race it was. And the cab driver said to me, hey, so who are you voting for? And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in Texas. Someone just asked me this question. <laughs> and I answered the question and they said, well, 
no one's going to be voting for that person. And I'm like, it's not a horse race. Like, I'm actually voting for the person that I want, which is supposed to be the idea behind an election. Mm -hmm. Like the person that you actually want there, uh, the one that can reflect your values that you feel will be able to provide the leadership needed so that we can have like better lives in our, you know, everywhere from where we live to our, you know, our local government, our state, our federal government, all the things. And it was just so remarkable. And that moment kind of stood with me that a lot of people treat politics as if it's some kind of horse race and want to vote for the winner instead of actually voting for what it is that they want. Yeah. And it's a, it's a difficult position to be in sometimes um, when you, you get to a point where your person is not viable. It, it's clear that they're not viable or they lost the primary. And the person who won the primary, primary for the party that you affiliate with, you, you decide, well, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to vote for, at all because I, my guy or my woman didn't win. What do you say to that mentality? Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's kind of like the my candidate or bu for bust, you know, you know, it's it's this or the highway kind of thing and and that that does happen. That's a real thing that that goes on. People get very invested when they've made their decisions. And um uh I think that uh when I think that most people at the end of the day want to make sure that the right person does get into office um and that um, if they're if they're looking closely enough, they realize that there's huge differences. And I think, you know, in a way that that kind of plays to the narrative that you sometimes hear that all politicians are alike. Well, anyone who's really paying attention knows that that is not true. That's just not the case. Um, I was watching, for example, uh, a Republican debate uh, for the Senate, and a question was asked about, do you think we should get rid of mail-in ballots? Raise your hands if you think that's the case. And all four Republicans raised, raised their hand. I can tell you that the Democrats who are running, all of them believe that we should make voting as easy as possible, that people have uh, a lot going on in their lives and making it complicated to vote um, and taking away different ways that they can vote um, is not the way to get there. Uh, not in a democracy, certainly, um, but maybe that's not their agenda after all. But not all politicians are alike. I agree with you. I was just uh, reading something today where uh, President Biden is, is uh, sharing his thoughts regarding uh, loan, uh, student loan debt forgiveness. And uh, the Republicans are up in arms, you know. Uh, <laughs> the Democrats are, no, this is a good idea. It's a start to uh, help working people, working class people, middle class people, what have you, uh, re reduce the, the fiscal strains that they so often are dealing with. But Republicans, they start saying this is going to cause inflation and the like. Uh, so, yeah, there are distinct differences philosophically. It's amazing how they are not so upset when we give all the money to wealthy people, you know, with tax <laughs> and not a thought, you know, to the economy at that point or to our deficit where we we uh, you know, where we have people in our country who are not paying their fair share. We have uh, corporations who are not paying their fair share. And we don't hear a word from from the opposition on that. But as soon as we think about students that could use some help or hardworking families, that, that all of a sudden it becomes some kind of economic issue that we can't budge on. Um, it's just remarkable to me how um, 
how they are so consistent with um, with making sure that the wealthy are, are taken care of. Oh, great point. You know, uh, and I, what's his name? You know, good old uh, uh, Bain Capital, you know, Mitt Romney. He, he uh, Senator Romney, he just tweeted on that exact issue saying this would be terrible. To, why, when, where does it stop? When do we, do we start forgiving car loans and mortgage payments? Like this is going to be the unraveling of, of uh, our society. And uh, Bernie Sanders responded saying, you know, it's, it's, it's Mitt Romney has has shared that to him corporations are people, but seemingly to him people are not people. <laughs> I thought that was a great response. I think the wealthy should pay for their own yachts, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Right? Why should that be on the back of taxpayers? Right? I, and you know, it's a little tongue in cheek, but not too far from the truth. I mean, seriously, like. You know, if if you um, if you uh, we know this, I mean, if 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 someone who is not wealthy, someone in the middle class or uh, is struggling is given money, they will spend it. Uh, wealthy people, of course, don't have a need to spend money like that. Um, uh, I, I mean, unless you want to go to the moon or something, I guess, um, <laughs> you know, we, we got to make sure that everyone has those breaks, you know, to be able to to uh, to fund those kind of things. But I mean, seriously. Like there's this inconsistency and, and you know where it really plays out is with small businesses. And I, that is really, that is really harmful. I see, and I, I see that in Pennsylvania. I'm sure it's the same in other States too, where there is this kind of lumping together of small businesses with large corporations. Um, and, and sadly what happens is the narrative from the, from the Republicans is always about how, um, you know, the, uh, that we, we have to take care of small business. Yet in, in the state of Pennsylvania, we have uh, we have billions of dollars in surplus and we are not spending it on helping small businesses that have been decimated during the pandemic. Um, and large corporations are not paying their fair share t- uh, of tax as well with all the loopholes that we have in our state. Uh, and there's no question that this is because of a, a Republican, a Republican controlled legislature that keeps it that way. Um, uh, and, and, and that is just really quite honestly sickening when we have small mom and pop businesses that are struggling that can't get the help that they need because we have to make sure that we protect wealthy people and wealthy corporations. Right. Right. And Jeff Bezos pays no taxes. The owner of uh, Amazon at the same time. Uh, it's just amazing. Like, why, why, why do we have such high taxes for small businesses in the state of Pennsylvania? You know, the the corner store, the flower shop, whatever it might be. But yet, Walmart ends up paying nothing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit about targeting. I know you are uh, involved in analysis and response to some of our uh, politicians on the Democratic side being targeted by Republicans. Namely, there's one uh, representative, Matt Cartwright, that uh, the Republicans are targeting, his his seat. You want to talk a bit about why they're doing it and how they're doing it and how they might be stopped from targeting and winning? Yeah, well, that's that's really important. Um, not only do we have this incredible race for the Senate, but the House is such a slim margin as well. And 
we don't get there by losing seats. And if you turn the clock back just not too long ago, for a while, the uh, the way the, the congressional lines in the state of Pennsylvania were drawn were so gerrymandered. It was one of the worst in this in this in the um, in the country. Um, you look at some of those seats, and uh, because of that, there was only um, congressional representation from Philadelphia, one from Pittsburgh, and the only one outside of that was Congressman Matt Cartwright up in Northeast PA, um, kind of the Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, uh, Luzerne, Lackawanna counties. There was a lot of talk. Some of our listeners will remember Luzerne County um, in the uh, in the Trump election, uh, which all eyes were on that county, large population in Northeast PA. That's where Matt Cartwright is. And, and um, uh, so uh, for quite some time, uh, the Republicans have been uh, knocking on that door with Congressman Matt Cartwright. Um, what's really helpful is how much in contact Congressman Cartwright is with his constituents. Um, and that is just just remarkable how he does that. I don't know where he finds the time to do that, but he is always out and about and meeting with people and meeting with businesses and talking with labor unions and just so involved. I went to uh, an event once, it was near my home in Columbia County. When I lived in Columbia County, I know I wanted to adopt Matt Cartwright as my congressman because we just didn't have the representation that I felt we, we really needed. And there was an event that was over the mountain uh, in a small community. I went down there and it was um, like at a municipal building. Mm -hmm. There were probably like 20 or 30 people there, so it was kind of crowded. And um, there were donuts there and they're drinking coffee and folks are talking about, you know, the the weather and the farms and, you know, what's happening there. And Matt Cartwright was there just and they knew him by name. And this is at a time when people were like hiding from their constituents, at least on the Republican side. And I was just watching this and just thinking about that. And then um, at some point, Congressman Cartwright turned to the group and said, well, you know, we, we should pretty much get started and glad I'm back here and, you know, does his introduction. Then he says, so what kind of issues do you have burning right now? What's happening right now? What is there something I can do for you? What is going on? And it got kind of quiet in the room. And then someone said, well, we've been getting a lot of rain and the grass has been growing really fast. <laughs> and Congressman Cartwright says, oh, I know. I said, he goes, every time I get home, my wife tells me I have to go out and take care of the lawn. And it's been crazy. And, and I'm just thinking in the back of my mind at the same time that people like Lou Barletta were hiding from his constituents and wouldn't let them know where they are. Here is Congressman Cartwright at a public event that was advertised, and people are so happy with them, they are talking about the weather. Right, exactly. That's a wonderful story, a great anecdote. You mentioned Lou Barletta. He he is uh, uh, somebody that um, got very uh, well-known because of his policies regarding immigrants in the uh, town he was mayor of in Pennsylvania, Hazleton. And that propelled him uh, into the House uh, as as a Republican uh, leader. He was also in the Trump administration. Um, and uh, from what I understand, he's going to be running for office or is running for office now too, right? 
Yeah, that's right. And so, and he's one of the top runners. Um, there's kind of two that stand out: um, Doug Mastriano and uh, Lou Barletta. Right now, it looks like Doug might be in the lead, um, uh, although it's been fluctuating all over the place. But um, but Lou Barletta is in that mix. And yes, the city of Hazleton, I believe, is still paying back all the debt that they incurred because of the litigation that was happening around his. Uh, racist, uh, uh, you know, endeavors in the in the city of Hazleton and what it did to that city is is horrible. Um, and that sadly, there's still legacy there on the backs of the taxpayers there for the litigation that happened. But with Doug, that's really interesting. He's a state senator. Um, and of course, he was involved with um, the uh, the insurrection. Um, and in fact, if you look at the hashtags on his um, Twitter account, they're pretty eyebrow raising, honestly. Hashtag QAnon, hashtag MAGA, hashtag Trump 2020, hashtag Patriots fight, hashtag the Great Awakening, hashtag Trump. Ha I mean, it, it's, um, do we know where he stands, I think? Honestly. <laughs> where, where? And this is Barletta and Mastriani, and, and you're talking about Doug Mastriani right now. What, what position are they, what seat are they running for? They're running for the governor's race. Right, exactly. And I, it's a close call between the two of them. And, and Lou Barletta was, as you said, a former U.S. representative for the 11th uh, Congressional District. Um, that was back in, what, 2011 to 2019, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's troubling to me. I always, this sounds silly to you, perhaps, and it is very personal. You know, uh, I'm an Italian American, and those two guys are Italian Americans, and man, it's embarrassing to me. <laughs> it really is, I have to say. Uh, you know, anyway, that's just a little personal aside. So let, let's, let's talk too about uh, patterns in rural counties you're noticing. Hmm. Um, you know, it's it's just really kind of hard to say right now. Um, I wish I had a better grip on it. I mean, um, first of all, I've been doing a lot of canvassing and door to door. So I have been talking with people. Um, and and of course, this kind of canvassing, this deep canvassing that we're doing around issues and around candidates on the primary ballot, this kind of uh, canvas is, is a little bit different because we're not talking about the opposition and what's on the table there. Not too much. I mean, I've done some canvassing also around our um, Josh Shapiro, um, our current attorney general who is running for governor, who is an incredible candidate. And um, uh, in general, it kind of depends on, on who, who you're talking about. Like when we're talking about Josh Shapiro, I'm now, of course, a lot of this canvas work we're doing is, uh, you know, with my healthcare union. So it's about healthcare. And I know that Josh has been uh, one of the most forceful advocates regarding the passing of the Patient Safety Act, which is so incredibly needed in the, in the state of Pennsylvania and probably all across the country. We should all have a Patient Safety Act, um, uh, which really helps us to make sure that we have the staffing that we need in order to make sure we have the health care that, that keeps us alive and healthy. And he's actually invited when, when that gets, if, that, if and when that gets in front of him at his desk to sign it, he wants to be surrounded by nurses and healthcare workers who have worked under these conditions for so long. Um, so that he can sign that into law. So he's done a lot of things. And, and I mean, there's other things. I mean, 
that he has done where it's obvious why SEIU Healthcare and all of the SEIU unions in the state of Pennsylvania have endorsed um, Josh Shapiro. I know when, um, for example, nursing homes where there were violations of the law due to short staffing and just mismanagement that as attorney general, you know, he prosecuted some of that. He also stood up and fought uh, in the hospital industry, um, including like a battle with UPMC when there was an issue where they were fighting um, uh, with their, it was the UP at the hospital and the insurances and people not being able to get in touch with their doctors. And he, uh, he jumped in there and helped to negotiate a settlement there. So there's, there's all, there's just a, a, he's just been an amazing, he has an amazing record as attorney general in the state of Pennsylvania. So when you're going door to door and talking about him, people know him. Right. They'll say, oh, right. That's right. He's the one that went after the Catholic Church about this. Or he's the one that did this with with nurses or, you know, like they 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 recognize who he is for going after large corporations and 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 really standing up for everyday people. So those conversations are easy. They're good. They're helpful. They're uplifting. And the feeling that you get going back to your question about the feeling in rural Pennsylvania, when you're talking about Josh Shapiro it's really good. Like that, those are really uplifting. They're kind of fun door knocks, honestly. And what about the not so fun ones? Well, the not so fun ones are, are where people just don't really know and they're not really sure. They don't know what to think. Um, I think in the in the Senate race, they're pretty excited about all three. And and I can't find a consistency in, in it, um, it, it because there's so many of the issues where they just really do line up. Um, I mean, uh, all all three of the Senate candidates, you know, um, uh, Malcolm Kenyatta um, uh, and uh, John Fetterman, who you mentioned earlier, and Connor Lamb. Um, I mean, they believe that that corporations and and this is this is like a theme you, you've heard me say it a few times should pay their fair share, you know, and, and that comes up. But then there are differences that happen as well. Um, like one of the differences might be around, you know, what people are are feeling right now um, in terms of high prices, especially with gas. And what's going on in the Ukraine, and uh, and then thinking about Pennsylvania uh, and its natural gas resources, and what we should be doing. You know, everyone has described fracking as like the third rail, and um, and so there are some differences that happen there, and it really depends upon who you're talking to, and uh, in terms of how they feel, each of the candidates line up with their values and what they believe to be true. Uh, which messaging has been effective on them too, which is a factor. And, and so um, you get a, a really kind of um, uh, a different view then, depending on who you're speaking with, if they're familiar with the candidates. Do you find anyone revealing, or maybe they don't even realize they're, they're revealing it, that's how disconnected uh, one might be, that racist sort of uh, impulses um, or, you know, just general hates and discomfort with people that in any way don't look like them or live like them, as they might believe, uh, drives where, you know, where they go with their vote? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And to think otherwise is is just not. I mean, you have your head in the sand. Uh, racism is uh, is an issue throughout this country, in our state, in our backyards, in our community, um, all of our communities. It's there, and sometimes we don't see it, um, or we think it's not there, but it really is. And and I I think if you look at like. Uh, Ian Lopez's book, um, Dog Whistle Politics, he really gets into that about defining, you know, the. It, it's pretty clear that our opposition message, the message of the Republican Party and that of conservatives has really been um, the primary architecture of that narrative has been dog whistles and racist dog whistles, to be specific. Um, and it's interesting when you come across someone who, who thinks that they're not really um, you know, thinking about it in those terms, they'll say something like, I don't want all my tax dollars to go to the schools in Philadelphia. And I just want to think like, well, what are you really saying? Mm -hmm. are, are you talking about all the little white kids that are running around Philadelphia? Is that what you're referring to that, you know, need money for school? Is, is that what we're referring to or not? Like that they're lifting up these examples or when we talk about like urban youth or we talk about um, uh, gun violence in 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 Philly or wherever, you know, it might be, um, you know, what are we really talking about? It's it, it. I mean, there's a reason why it's described as systemic. Um, and then some people will say, well, I'm not the one that brought up race. You did. I, I'm not I'm not being racist. And a lot of times, you know, dog whistles are you know, when a, a dog whistle is something you blow that only a dog can hear, it's so high pitched that only animals can hear the, or, you know, non-humans can hear those, animals can hear those because it's so high pitched. And the idea is, is that it's like a coded message so that when you say it, other people, you know, know what it is that you're saying. But there's a second type that Lopez talks about in his book, and that's the one where the, the, um, the racist dog whistle is just below the skin and it it stokes fear and anger and resentment uh, uh, around race and uh, and people respond to it um, whether or not they realize why they're responding to it. Well said. Dwayne Heisler here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, our resident political regular contributor, I'm so happy to say. And uh, he is the chair of the PA Democratic Progressive Caucus. Uh, among other hats, he wears so many hats. Uh, he is definitely a person who is is out there in the thick of things, uh, and also behind the the door closed doors of uh, analysis after being out in the thick of things to try to figure out how to best serve. I guess you could say the democratic uh, initiatives. It's it's not that's what you're about uh, more so than anything else. I think it's safe to say. Um, and if for, for those listening, and we're just about out of time, so maybe this is a good way to close, who would say cynically, you know, this guy doesn't really care about me or the issues. He's just, this is his job. He's just trying to sell me a product. How would you respond to that? Well, um, gosh, I, I wake up like everyone else in the morning. And hopefully, because like I brush my teeth and I take a shower and uh, I have things I have to do and I have to put gas in my car and um, I need to provide a living for myself. And um, I mean, I, I think, you know, quite honestly, um, uh, I think like people that are listening right now that we all value being able to have 
a good life if we're able to do that and we we value some some core shared values right like like being able to breathe fresh air being able to uh, put food on the table you know those bread and butter issues that we often talk about um but there are those who you know don't want us to vote there are those that that are you know um busy trying to divide us while they have their hands in our pockets uh, which happens all the time and and if you look at the tax structures that we see and the way that voting goes on um or you know uh, if let to run and i really kind of you know i know we only have a few minutes here but i really kind of want to lift up the voting bit when i saw everyone raise their hands on the republican ticket i thought they said the quiet part out loud and and i think it's really important that people think about that I think that um, voting is really important and is, it is a core American value, being able to vote. And because of that, I firmly believe that we should make it as easy as possible for folks to do it, to have is the freedom to vote. And right now, our freedom to vote is under attack. And we've seen that play out in several of our counties in addition to on a statewide level, there there's funding being cut at local courthouses. There are people trying to get rid of drop boxes um, there. And, and you know, we have candidates who are, are running for office who want to get rid of vote by mail. And um, I don't know how people can't relate that to an attack on our very democracy and on our country. Um, uh, and the only way that that can happen is when good people don't stand up, like the uh, representative in Michigan that said, stop the hate, enough is enough. Well, most of our listeners have probably seen that video where there were these unclaimed or these these accusations that were made. And um, so I, I guess my call to action here is when you see these things coming, I mean, uh, stand up, take a stand. There's plenty of ways to do that. Um, and I think voting rights are one of the most important things, because if we lose that, then we've lost everything. Well said. Dwayne Heisler, thank you so much. I know you're doing a lot of important stuff right now uh, in, in Philly, among other places, uh, getting prepared for the primary elections all across the state of PA. And uh, I know you're watching what's going on across the nation. So it helps you in, uh, in, inform, uh, helps inform uh, what the, the national tendency is uh, in your in your strategy. Uh, it's it's great to know you're out there from my perspective, and it's great to have you here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. We'll be talking with you again after the primaries, and we'll we'll uh, we'll analyze what occurred. Wonderful. Hey, folks, get out there and vote. Take care. Take care. Bye.
Now, some actual facts and figures, statistics from Harper's Magazine. It's April 2022 edition. Actual statistics. Here we go. Percentage by which U.S. military spending has increased since the withdrawal from Afghanistan. 5% increase. Percentage of Afghans who are expected to be living in poverty in August. 97%. Percentage change since 2017 in the number of Republicans who say military officers have, quote, high standards of ethics. Down 21%. Portion of U.S. representatives facing ethics investigations last year who refused to cooperate. One half. Portion of Americans who have favorable views of both capitalism and socialism. One fifth or 20%. Who have unfavorable views of both capitalism and socialism. Again, one fifth, 20%. Percentage of Americans who approve of labor unions, 68%. Percentage change since 2019 in U.S. labor union membership, a decrease of 4%. Percentage of Americans who have considered committing suicide in response to political developments, 5%. Portion of Americans who think Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech is no longer relevant. One quarter. Percentage by which Republicans are more likely than Democrats to think so. 94% more likely are Republicans. Percentage by which more white men than black men died of drug overdoses in 2015. 51%. By which more black men than white men died of drug overdoses in 2020. 22%. Estimated percentage decrease in U.S. condom sales since the start of the pandemic. Decreased by 8%. Portion of Americans earning less than $50,000 who cite wedding costs as a reason for not marrying. Three-tenths, 30%. Estimated portion of married Americans who have considered divorce in the past six months, one quarter. Number of the 100 most watched TV broadcasts last year that were NFL games, 92 of the 100. Factor by which Americans spent more time listening to the radio last year than to podcasts. More listen to the radio than to podcasts by a factor of six. Portion of U.S. adults who have struggled with basic decisions like what to eat or wear since the start of the pandemic, one-third. Of U.S. millennials, one-half. And portion of U.S. adults who say their closets contain many things they will never wear again, three quarters. How do you like them apples?
bottom wooden step just inches above the ground. Grass and dandelions alive protrude and bend toward the sky. My fat neighbor, shirtless, with suspenders, shakes her head fastidiously, wears a frown. A ladybug, red, black, orange, flies what must seem like miles from the rim onto the collar of my favorite blue button-down shirt, slim. Here I sense unquantifiable value and girth.
Episode 470, that's 470, of Troubadours and Rockin' Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I would like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Dwayne Heisler, Harper's Magazine, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, X, Alabama Shakes, Danielle Ponder, Burial and Fortet, Prince Buster, Anna Fox Rochinsky, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself and others too. Doodaloo.